good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, Ambassador of 805 Connect and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and & Weicker Insurance Services. I want to thank them both for their support and encouragement, and thanks to our podcasting partner, Pullstring Press, for this great studio, and to Patrick, my co-host. Welcome, Patrick. Hi, Mark. We love having you. Well, today's guest is Gerhard Upfeldtaler. That's right. You got it right, Mark. One of the few people in this country who can do that. And also, you are the dean at the School of Management at California Lutheran University and our sponsor. And I just want to publicly thank you so much. You called a week after the podcast. You said, Mark, I want to be the exclusive sponsor of the podcast. How can we do that? And I I wanted, I, I asked you at the time, but I think now would be a good, another time just to kind of bring up, what is it about this project and what you're doing at the school that wanted you to have such a closer connection to us? Oh, I think it's, it is it is closely related to what's going on in higher education, particularly in business education. Uh, uh, the environment around us is changing. It's changing a lot. And where maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, people went to business school to get a job in the corporate sector. Uh, today, uh, we still cater to that need, but uh, it's also about entrepreneurship. It's about making things happen. It's about uh, fulfilling purpose and, and dreams of, of young people uh, that, that business schools uh, 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 address as a need. So uh, in the last couple of years, uh, what we've been doing at Cal Luther, and particularly at the School of Management, is to reach out to the community and try to to build a culture of entrepreneurship in in the region. And uh, what you are doing with 805 Connect and 805 Conversations is just the perfect uh, partnership, the perfect vehicle for what we're trying to do. Uh, You are trying to strengthen the the network of of like-minded people in the region, and we are trying to do the same thing from a different angle. So it was just natural to reach out to you and get into that partnership. Well, thank you again. We, we really appreciate that. And, and listener, know this. Uh, this relationship has opened up uh, a window into a world of experts that we're going to be able to have on the show that is um, really fantastic. I mean, your, your board of advisors and the, and the network that you have brought to the region is pretty spectacular. Uh, tell me quickly, um, how is it you came to Cal Lu, California Lutheran? I got to remember they don't like saying Cal Lu. So <laughs> that is correct, yeah. I'll say that. So h- how is that? Because they're they're definitely the before Gerhard and then the right. the after Gerhard. What was their thinking? That could turn into a long and, and winding story, so I need to be careful. So uh, talk in tweets. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, born in a very small village in Austria, uh, about uh, 1,200 population, and then uh, almost 50 years later, ending up in, in, in California. What was in between? Um, 
I grew up, uh, I just recently came to realize that I was born at a time which could be considered still post-war in Europe. I mm. was born in 1966, which is 20 years after the war has ended. And in a way, you could probably still feel that in both a negative way and a positive way in, in, in the region where I was born. In a positive way, because a lot was happening at that time. Economic development was still in full swing at that time. Mm. But mm. in a negative way, too, people had memories of awful things that had happened there. So it, it was a, a, a time where you would not necessarily stay in that region where you would uh, try to explore and get out of uh, uh, an environment that at the same time also have uh, an opportunity to get out of that environment. So uh, uh, when I was uh, ripe for university, I left home basically and never came back. Uh, I started to be a world traveler. Uh, first, I started an education in, in Vienna, which is Austria's capital. Uh, then uh, my studies took me to Taiwan, China. Um, came back to Austria, started my first job in academia. And that's another aspect of why I, I'm here. Uh, I think I'm a traveler both in geographical terms and in, in professional terms. Uh, from that first job in, in academia, I joined a government service in Austria and I mm. became a business diplomat. Uh, a, bu a business, what's that? A business diplomat. Uh, you're probably familiar, as are many of your listeners, with uh, the U.S. Foreign Commercial Service. Yes. Wh which is uh, a semi-government institution, I guess, uh, uh, that... Uh, uh, caters to the needs of American businesses abroad. And in Austria, we have a similar structure. Um, and I joined that, that organization, and after a brief time in the headquarters, I was posted to my first uh, trade mission abroad, which happened to be Los Angeles. Uh. And I think that has spoiled me for life. And uh, <laughs> after a few years of, of, of being in, in California, um, I... Uh, realized that uh, it, it would be very difficult to go back and, and just stay home in a small country uh, whose population is smaller than the entire population of, of Los Angeles. So, but eventually I was called back to headquarters, uh, which was an idea that, that uh, I didn't like too much, and I changed careers. Um, I changed careers to become part of a team of a uh, a new university. You might actually call it a startup. Uh, it was a startup university. Huh. It was a, a brand new model that we were following. We had it easier than most entrepreneurs do as we were playing with government money, but still we, we started a brand new uh, institution of higher education. And the way we started it was amazing too. I still remember I arrived on a September 3rd uh, uh, back home in Austria, straight from Los Angeles, again in a small town of about 13,000 population and about a month later on October 1st we started and there was nothing there when I arrived there was a building where they had just ripped out the doors and windows that was to be the, the first building for the university and uh, we were working practically day and night uh, on the plastic covers while people were still painting <laughs> and hammering uh, to uh, hire faculty members hire staff uh, find students get our program started and we did after just a month so um, I stayed there for a number of years, then my old head office called um, and said, would you like to go for us uh, to Singapore? And mm -hmm. uh, be in, our, in, in the Austrian Trade Commission in, in Singapore, and that was um, uh, an interesting proposition. And after a brief conversation with my wife, we uh, decided to uh, uh, take on that adventure, move to Singapore. And then uh, after a while in Singapore, I got another call 
Uh, apparently, I had developed a reputation for starting uh, new universities, particularly business schools, and uh, another new university that had been in the making for a few years called me uh, and asked me if I would be ready to start the business school there. Uh, so we went back to Austria, stayed there for a number of years, and that was the time when I um, developed a relationship with Cal Lutheran. Um, Initially, just uh, as, a, as a friend and, and professional colleague of professors uh, at Cal Lutheran. Later on, I served as an international consultant to Cal Lutheran, and we together developed uh, the international aspects mm -hmm. of uh, the business school mm -hmm. uh, to a point where uh, ultimately the previous dean of the business school at Cal Lutheran made me an offer to come out on a more permanent basis, which I did. And now I'm back in California. Nice. And how many years have you been here? Uh, it's now, uh, it's been six years now, and two years as the dean. So two years ago, or was it three years ago, you had a summit on, uh, was a Central Coast Entrepreneur Summit. Yes. So tell, So that was the first time you'd done that, wasn't it? Kind yes. of an outreach to the community? That was three years ago, and uh, at that time, um, I'm not even certain if uh, I already had gotten the position as a dean or not, but it was certainly a time when I started to think about what the future direction for the School of Management at, at Cal Lutheran should be or, or could be. And what I did notice is was that um, uh, there was a lot more startup activity uh, in the region than ever before. Uh, Los Angeles, the greater Los Angeles area, had definitely positioned itself as uh, a, a new alternative to Silicon Valley. Right, right. Um, so there was opportunity there, but at the same time, I felt there was also a tremendous need because it was still a time three years ago when the corporate sector uh, wasn't hiring at the same pace as it used to hire. So uh, the thinking was, let's leverage opportunity and, and, and cater to the need for our students and graduates and, and explore an alternative uh, to a very traditional career path uh, of a corporate career, which was to be entrepreneurship. Uh, but uh, frankly, I didn't know too much of, of, of the startup community here, so we just uh, uh, started to gather like-minded people, uh, investors, entrepreneurs, others who were in that space to kick around a few ideas. And uh, the first summit that we had was actually much more successful than we would ever have thought of, um, which was probably early proof uh, of the fact that we were on the right track. So I was invited to the second summit, and I think that uh, that word had gotten out to everybody. Talk about timing for a second, because this was three years ago, and we're still now only a couple of years after the recession. And I'm I've thought about this a lot, that the recession, a lot of people lost jobs, and a lot of people who are really skilled at their what they do had to, or not had to, I think started thinking entrepreneurially. Could I go out and start my own business? Right. And I think that, that that clearly has happened because the barrier to entry to starting a business is completely different than it was even 10 years ago. Your... So let's, that's the context, right? More people are thinking about starting right. businesses now. Or they're saying, uh, I really don't like the guy I'm working for. I could do this better. I'm going to go start my own thing. So it's, so it's that way as well. 
Does your school cater mostly to that uh, 20 to 25-year-old? Or what do, you, what do you do for that 45-something person, that mid-career person who's, okay, gosh, I've got one of these, the great school of management right here in my backyard. How does that person take advantage of what you've got to offer? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a very interesting question. Uh, I don't know if, if founders, if entrepreneurs think about it that way, but there is, uh, in higher education, we definitely talk about the difference between needs-based entrepreneurship and opportunity-based entrepreneurship. So the opportunity-based entrepreneurs are the ones who perceive uh, an opportunity in the market, they perceive a need uh, in, in the marketplace, and uh, or they have a great idea and they try to leverage that uh, the needs-based entrepreneur is the one who has no other option but to mm. become an entrepreneur, mm. um, and they have different they have different needs. And it's not necessarily that I'm saying that a needs-based entrepreneur is going to be less successful than an opportunity-based one. Actually, some of the needs-based entrepreneurs uh, uh, can be very successful. And I don't know if you know that, but if you look at national studies, the average age of a startup founder. Is, well, what would your guess be? What is the average age of the typical founder? 29. Well, you're, you're off by a bit. It's actually somewhere between 45 and 50. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, it, it, I was surprised, too, when I first saw that statistic. Uh, I think the the visual image that I've yeah, got... Yeah, startup is young. Yeah, yeah, is, you know, I think of Silicon Valley on, on HBO. Right. And I, you know, I think of the young... It's more like a... Post grad frat house, nothing uh, to lose. Now. You don't have you don't have families. You don't have you can risk everything because you're. But but apparently that's not remotely mm-hmm. the case. Yeah, uh, it, it is happening definitely. The Mark Zuckerbergs, the hoodie wearing twenty somethings are out there, and they get most of the attention. But then there are the other ones, and not they are not only the needs based entrepreneurs. There are some opportunity based older entrepreneurs. And if you think of it, that there is you know there is this. Um, story out there that it takes about ten thousand hours of work in a specific area right, to Malcolm. become a real exactly become a real expert. Um, then uh, how would you ever get to the ten thousand hours if you're twenty something, right? So you, you uh, some people uh, acquire expertise over many years of of a career in the corporate sector, and then for whatever reason because. They can't get their ideas across in in the corporate structure because they don't like their boss or simply because they think that they could make much for themselves based on on their ideas as an entrepreneur uh, compared with the corporate sector. Whatever the motivation is, these people have the expertise and and the skill set and often make it happen. so what are we, coming back to your question, what are we doing for the, the younger entrepreneurs, the older entrepreneurs? Of course, the younger entrepreneurs, uh, there we mostly cater to the college-bound ones. Uh, we are just in the process of transforming our uh, undergraduate programs in business offered by the, by the School of Management so that we uh, target the, the potential founders uh, in, a, in a better way. Mm. So we are changing the programs in entrepreneurship that we have on the undergraduate level. And uh, one program that I'm particularly excited about is that we have recently introduced a minor 
in entrepreneurship uh, that is open to majors of, of all other departments and schools on So it's kind campus. of cross you're approaching cross campus. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, what does that what does the that curriculum look like on a on a hands-on basis? Like what are they researching or how are they implementing or what, you know, cuz cuz my experience is is in an art background and so everything was very, mm-hmm. you know, constantly entrepreneurial in the in the concept of like how are you going to make money with this? Right. Um but so what what are they studying physically? Like what's their curriculum? As you say, you're going to change it. So what's that minor look like? What yep. do they have to do? I should probably start out by saying that when we talk about entrepreneurship at Cal Lutheran, we don't necessarily mean only the creation of high growth startups. We mean when we talk about entrepreneurship, we mean the ability to get things done. We mm. mean that that certain mindset, the stick to itiveness, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, yeah, when we talk about entrepreneurship. So what we are trying to do with the minor, where we reach out to arts majors or journalism majors, what we are trying to do is we're trying to lead them from idea creation to feasibility to how do I translate this into a sustainable form of activity. Could be a startup, could be something else, could be a nonprofit as well, of course. Um, so uh, in the minor, students are basically going through a sequence of a few classes that lead them through uh, idea creation, feasibility, and then marketability, m- more or less. Huh. And that idea of, of um, my background for the last 20 years has been as a Tedster. <laughs> and uh, TED is an idea worth spreading, you know, and, and my wife is a speaker coach for people who want to give TED Talks. So we're always thinking about what is that idea and helping people crystallize it and, and get it down to the idea. That's the first step. There's a 99% failure rate uh, right. beyond that, right? And And getting it to a point to where that is a, a good a service or a product or it's whatever that thing is, is the next big step, which it sounds like that minor is addressing, right? Right, absolutely. And what we're trying to do with the minor is also we're trying to tell students that uh, entrepreneurship is about more than just happenstance. It's not just about sitting in a bathtub, having a great idea, pitching it, getting money, <laughs> right. and, 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 and getting rich. That doesn't, that's not how it works? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Did it work dang. like that for you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So what we're really trying to do is we're trying to give them tools to approach that whole process from idea creation to marketability in a systematic way, in a way that also helps them to prevent certain mistakes that they would be making if they just approached it intuitively. So that's what what we're trying to do with the the college-bound younger students. Um, Coming to the older students, uh, we have a fairly large MBA program uh, in addition to a range of other graduate programs that we have at the School of Management. Um, and that MBA program also has uh, specializations, professional tracks, as we call them. And one of those tracks is on is entrepreneurship. Uh, given the nature of the typical MBA student, uh, that track is probably uh, geared not necessarily to the, uh, the startup founder, although we are definitely creating some of those as well in that track, but it's more about people who become corporate entrepreneurs. Right, right. Uh, what do they call them, intrapreneurs? Intrapreneurs, corporate entrepreneurs. Uh, it's pretty much the same thing. So 
students there learn again about idea crea creation, feasibility, and marketability, but also in a in a specific corporate context. Uh, when you already have an organizational structure in place, when you have when you're dealing with processes in the organization, how do you still get that spirit of entrepreneurship into uh, into your corporate world? That's what uh, students would be learning there. So a lot of the the people that are listening to this podcast are not don't see themselves as the one that's going to start a business. But if, if you're running a division or you're in charge of new product development or you're doing something like that, there's you know so many of those skills uh, are important. Let me ask you a different question. Uh, my wife got her MBA from Pepperdine, and we started we a software company. We won't hold it against her. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let her know that. And uh, she... When we started our software company, I kind of presumed, because I don't have an MBA, I am the creative guy, um, <clears throat> that she would know how to do all of these things that we needed done in the business. And as it turned out, she didn't. And there was a lot of on-the-job things that we learned together. And she said, no, I didn't learn that. And my assumption was, I mean, you're a master, and the word master in our martial art signifies something. You're a master in the administration of business. Go and administrate our business now, please. How, how do you get the real world kind of training or at least some exposure to that in school? Is, is that just, here's the question. Does that, <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a speech. And it was nice. It was good. It was really, question, it feels good, Mark. Setting the context. There you go. How, knowing that, and I know you know that, how do you solve for that with your classes? Um, you're really putting me on the spot here. <laughs> Definitely, we, we have ideas. And, 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 and it's also not a secret that probably business schools around the country are struggling exactly with that, exactly with uh, building that bridge from uh, what is sometimes treated as, as an academic discipline, as a quasi-science, a science maybe, and what the real needs in the, in the business world are. Business schools worldwide are looking for the, the right formula. Uh, there are various things that you can do, and we do those things at, at Cal Lutheran. It starts with the design of a meaningful curriculum. Mm -hmm. A lot of MBA curricula are fairly traditional, in the sense that they educate people for functional careers only. So you have your marketing, you mm -hmm. have your finance, mm -hmm. uh, you you have your the tracks you were talking about. The, the, well, your your tracks, uh, or I would say it's it's functional knowledge. It's silos that over the years academia has allowed to to grow. Um, Nowadays, what it's all about is breaking down those silos again and making sure that students get to see the bigger picture. They right. get to understand right. how does all how do all of these functional areas relate to each other and build uh, a meaningful whole that can actually survive in a competitive environment. Um, how do you do that? Well, you do it first of all through uh, the curriculum by creating course opportunities that. Uh, provide that integrative integrated perspective. For instance, one of the courses that, that is uh, becoming increasingly popular in the MBA program at Cal Lutheran is called Consulting to Business. Hmm. Um, that Consulting to Business course is run by a lead instructor who brings in real businesses 
from our region that have a distinct need. Uh, some may have to become more lean in their manufacturing. Others are expanding internationally. So they come in with a specific problem to the students. And then uh, a group of students, uh, the entire class of, of, of students, works on that particular problem, or if it's a larger problem, maybe on different aspects of that problem. And the lead academic instructor also brings in specialized uh, consultants uh, uh, that uh, come in through a cooperation that we have with the uh, Ventura County SBDC. Uh, so students oh, get real okay. hands-on knowledge in that course on how to attack certain business problems. So how do I uh, expand internationally? Where do I find markets for my product? Am I is my product ready? Does it need to be adapted? Uh, how do I deal with all the logistics of international trade? So and and these projects uh, provide an integrated perspective for the students that teach them what. Uh, uh, Kim, your, your wife probably didn't get uh, at that other school that we won't mention right now. Um, so that is one of the ways um, that, that we're dealing with this. We also deal with it in the sense that we are bringing in a lot of experienced adjunct uh, instructors. Mm, mm. Of course, we have a sizable faculty at the School of Management. To be a modern, cutting-edge business school, you need to have your full-time faculty. So we have about 40 full-time faculty members at the School of Management, but we work with a network of about 100 mm. adjunct instructors who all have very active careers, who are specialists in their fields, and uh, they bring in cutting-edge knowledge from industry into the classroom. So they wouldn't be teaching a basic marketing class, but they would be teaching a course on social media because sure, that's their sure, area of expertise. Sure. That's what they live day in and, and day out. Uh, and a third way of dealing with uh, uh, that practice aspect, the applied aspect in the classroom is uh, through the students themselves. Um, our MBA program is sort of a hybrid part-time, full-time. We have uh, uh, students who have active careers in the same classes with full-time students mm. who uh, are just coming out of undergraduate programs or who may have had two or three years of limited uh, work experience. And uh, through mixing the student populations, there's a lot of exchange over the practical aspects sure. of, of what they're learning in the, in the classroom. That was a great, I didn't mean to put you on a spot. That was a really, you solved that for me though, <laughs> by <clears throat> having them work on real problems, right? It's kind of nice to be in this, uh, uh, the educational environment where I don't actually, I don't have to make payroll. I don't have to do those things because there's, those pressures are going to come soon enough, right? To learn and things. It got me thinking of something else. Um, through our conversations, we're talking to a wide variety of people. There's so many different industries and s represented here in the region. And what's interesting to me is how, well, let's say the internet, but technology has profoundly changed industries. Publishing is one, music is one. Right. We, we, you know, cables, you know, the cable industry complained a couple of weeks ago on Wall Street that the reason they've lost all their money or losing money is because of cord cutters. And so here we see technology disrupting. The way we think about management, the way we think about managing our companies, we think of Drucker, I think of, I mean, all of these, you know, gurus who've been out there 
Jack Welch was here a few weeks ago at the university talking, and there are probably some real tried and true ways to do things. Is it fair to say that there is education has been impacted just as much as any other industry, more or less, and if more, what does that look like to you in the school? How, how are you dealing with that? Um, oh, absolutely. Technology has had a profound impact on, on education. Uh, there are lots of experimental ways of approaching education out there today. Uh, most of your listeners will be familiar with the MOOCs, the mm. massively open online courses that were started by Coursera coming out of Stanford. Um, some of your listeners may be uh, familiar with uh, the term of nano degrees. So there are. Uh, oh, that's new. The, uh, nano degree. So that is that qualified for our buzzword bingo? I think uh, that qualifies. Probably. Yeah, nano. Yeah. Tell me what a nano degree a is. A nano degree. I want one. Well, you know what? It's 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 nothing more than a fancy word for uh, I'm getting a course in a narrow area area of expertise. So I'm getting a course on how to do marketing on Facebook. But where does the degree come in? Uh, there is definitely a vision out there that says, well, once you assemble enough of those um, smaller micro courses in a particular area, why shouldn't that be a, a degree? So if I'm doing a course on Facebook marketing and I'm doing a course on uh, how to use Instagram to, to create buzz and I'm taking a few more I of get those a badge. courses, th- uh, I get a badge for each one of those and then we bundle them and that's uh, a degree. There are experiments like that out there. At the same time, you know, we have universities. Universities have been around for a few hundred years. Yep. They're not going to go away. And uh, the college campus experience is still something that is very valuable to students. There's socialization going sure. on with that. There's growing up going on with that. There is guidance and mentoring by faculty members going on that's going well beyond the classroom. Uh, there are lifelong relationships that are being formed in institutions that are called universities. These kind of relationships, the kind of tacit learning that we're talking about here, is not formed in a MOOC at Coursera. It's not formed in, in, in a nano Absolutely. degree in environment. But nevertheless, you know, technology has changed things, how we deliver courses. Uh, we have actually been one of the early adopters at Cal Lutheran of online education. We've had uh, uh, degree programs uh, that you can take entirely online for probably about a decade now at, at Cal Lutheran, which was very early for many other institutions in, in, in our region. Uh, and today we're running uh, those programs and we're also running hybrid programs. Uh, we are now at a stage in higher education, particularly in business education, where uh, there is a trend going away from the purely online, but people are also not happy with the purely on campus anymore. So mm. what are we doing? Mm. We're doing hybrid education. Mm. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that one of the uh, success models that we have built at Cal Lutheran over the last four or five years was we are running a hybrid version of our MBA program on the ground in Austria in three different locations. Cal Lutheran has a campus in Austria. We don't really have a campus. We're partnering with somebody there who provides facilities for weekend compressed courses where we fly professors over. But other courses are taken in an online environment where our professors sit here in California teaching students over there in Austria. 
And those students are not only Austrian students. We have students from Russia, Croatia, Slovenia, mm, mm. Germany, Spain, uh, all over Europe practically in, in that program. Is the appeal that there's a, is there a Californian point of view, is that fair to say, or not? Uh, you mean is, is, is the attractiveness of the pro Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, what's integrated into the hybrid program is a, a two-week immersion experience where we bring students to California to get to experience. Oh, that must be fun. Uh, absolutely. It, it's a tough two weeks. Uh, <laughs> if, if you supervise adults who are on a two-week uh, <laughs> um, uh, exploration of a new environment. In Southern California. <laughs> in Southern California. But... It's it's you know it's a work hard play hard sure. type of situation, um, and um, uh, that is highly popular. Is and it tricky getting them to go back? Uh, <laughs> you didn't. You know, uh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. Um, yeah, you know, it, it it is difficult, but at, at the same time. Um, uh, all of those students, they have their careers, they have their families. Yeah. So they're getting a little break from reality, which also helps them to refresh their thinking and renew their commitment to what they do. Uh, but they go back to their careers, and uh, uh, often enough, they make big jumps in their careers. Can I ask a question that I, I think is, is I, I know the kind of silliness of it, but I, I see very often uh, in talking to people about business, um, that that they are there. There's two people that I typically run into. W one is the the group of people who uh, have a specialty and then are forced to do business around that specialty because you know because they, they're like my girlfriend, for instance, is a landscape architect, but she spends so much of her time doing the business that it takes for her to run her landscape architecture firm. Um, but then there's the other group, and this is the group that I'm maybe more interested in, who would compare it and say, uh, oh, do you have a business degree? And they say, I have a business degree from the from uh, the hard knocks, you know, or I have a business degree from the real world uh, because they were actually out there. How would you, how would you kind of um, frame that idea of like, why should they not just go open a business and learn those lessons on the ground versus going into an environment that's academic uh, to learn those lessons, you know, inside of a peer group? Uh, that, that's all. I don't want to say um, it's not artificial, obviously, but it's it's a uh, it's an academic environment that doesn't have the same kind of risks uh, at play. I would say the school of hard knocks. Uh um, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of money, and a lot of people are, by their own mistakes, propelled out of uh, uh, what would otherwise be great opportunities. Mm. So uh, getting a business degree still saves you time and money. It may look like a huge upfront investment, but hey, what? You know, you can, take a, you can get a graduate degree in one year at Cal Lutheran if you work really hard. Uh, and after that year, you're definitely better prepared then you would be without uh, uh, that that education. Plus, um, I think higher education institutions are also, they're brokers of knowledge. Uh, faculty members have the luxury of specializing in one thing and one thing only, and they know what's going on at the forefront uh, uh, in, in their discipline, and uh, they bring that to the classroom. And uh, they help students discover new things that they would not hear about, learn about uh, in the School of Hard Knocks. That's, I wish I could go to, I want it, now I want to go back to school. I can cut I, you a deal, Mark. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking that, I'm like, how many master's degrees am I allowed to have? <laughs> how many do you have? I have, I have, I have one. Okay. <laughs> it's a pretty good one, though. I'm pretty <laughs> proud of it. So, I, I want to stay back on the curriculum for a second. I, I There's a guy here in Santa Barbara who 
has a software technology for managing curriculum development at the university level. Okay, So getting new curricula into the classroom from an idea, a professor says, oh, I want to write a book all the way to, well, kind of what you were talking about earlier about ideas to marketability. So let's, it's the same kind of thing. And there's quite a bit to get something into the curricula because there's rules and it's got to meet criteria and all of those things. With, and this is going to go back to the other question, with things changing so rapidly, business has changed. I'm thinking of marketing. The way we reach clients now is completely different than it was. If you watch Mad Men, it's completely <laughs> right. different. It's even different just in the last couple of years. How does how do you stay topical and current on the curriculum side and change as fast as the environment is changing? That That would seem like a real difficult challenge for you. Um, it, it is a challenge at times, but I think um, at, at Cal Lutheran, we have the great advantage of being a small, rather lean university mm. compared mm. to larger state institutions, for instance, or even l uh, larger private institutions. Uh, of course, we have due process internally, and you can't just change curricula uh, at, at the whim of an idea, but uh, uh, we can be fairly quick in making in, in developing new courses and getting them uh, into the course offerings, and we can be fairly quick in changing programs and getting those program changes approved. And so maybe I should give you a little look under the hood. How does sure, a program get sure. developed? How does a course get developed? Pretty much like in the entrepreneurial world, it starts with an idea. Um, and when, when you have that idea, it could be, well, there's a real need in, in a certain industry, for instance. So let's say software development. Not that we're planning anything in that area, but let's just assume for the sake of argument. Um, what would you do next uh, as, as a, a, a higher education administrator? You would go out and talk to people about the needs for graduates, the needs uh, in the workforce in that particular industry, and uh, develop a, a set of uh, uh, learning objectives, skills objectives. Mm, and mm, then mm, this mm. is where the higher education uh, experience comes in. Then you are working on breaking down those objectives into smaller pieces called courses and, uh, and, and, and into, into curricula. Um, and as, as I said before, we can do that pretty quickly at a smaller institution. At larger institutions, you have to go through layers of layers of committees and, and regulatory approval. So that is one of the reasons why sometimes curricula aren't quite as modern as, as they should be. Um, some of the large institutions, they have top-notch academics, of course. They have published authors. They have uh, celebrated professors who are at the cutting edge, but because of the institutional environment they are in, uh, sometimes they can't get the, uh, uh, the, the curriculum changes uh, done that, that quickly, and then it looks like they are not catering to the needs in a fast-changing industry. In a smaller institution, it's so much, so much easier. So let's talk about workforce for a second, because I was surprised to hear you say, let's go out and listen to what the community needs, and then let's design to solve that need. That kind of feels like a trade school, but it's not. I, I, it's not. Um, I, I get that. Here's getting back to economic vitality in the 805 region, which is what this 
805 Project is all about and having these kinds of conversations. So we're, we're all getting more informed and inspired. And if that means going back to school so we can run our businesses better, then we should absolutely do that. The two problems facing us from what I've heard so far is uh, housing, that's a big one, getting people here, and then finding people. We hear this, almost every conversation we've had here has, there's some kind of staffing, I can't find the people I need, I've got to import them from out of the area. Which gets me to thinking, how many graduates come out in June, and of those graduates, how many stay here locally, and we're kind of, we're growing our own, so to speak? Uh, that's a, a tough one to, to answer. Um, for the School of Management at Cal Lutheran, I think it's fair to say that on the undergraduate side, we probably have about 30% of local regional students, about another 30% uh, from the uh, rest of the state, and uh, then another 30% from all over the country, mm. and, and maybe a smaller percentage are international students. On the graduate side, uh, we have about 50% students from the region and about 50% international students. So my assumption would be that most of the students uh, from the region would also stay in the region and try to find employment here or maybe even have employment while they are still studying. That happens quite a lot. Uh, I recently uh, pulled some statistics and I was surprised to see that uh, about 67% of our undergraduate students have at least one internship, about 50% do uh, about two internships during the course of their, their programs, two or more. Uh, so those internships often develop into uh, permanent uh, employment right. opportunities. So these students, that third, would probably stay here. I would think that uh, the Southern California uh, environment is also attractive enough for the other 60 70% to, to want to stay in the region. But uh, I would find it difficult right now to, uh, to, to really give you an accurate uh, image of how many of those can manage to find a job and stay in the region. So if I'm running a business in the area and I'm having a hard time finding manager types, right, you know, management type of people, would it make sense for me to contact someone at the university uh, to start building a relationship with the university so you kind of had first looks at you know, maybe you start them as undergrads, as, as intern programs. So is there a an office, a liaison, if you will? And and is that utilized as much as it could be? Let's, I mean, let's hope this conversation maybe stimulates a little bit. Oh, oh, absolutely. So what we always tell students is don't wait until you graduate before you think about applying for, for a job. You need to start building a relationship with a company. You need to build expertise in an industry before you graduate. And that would be the advice that I would also give to companies. Don't uh, wait until you can hire graduates. Start to build a relationship with a university, a school, uh, and a particular student earlier than that. So we do that through a number of ways. We bring in guest lecturers from industry. So as somebody from the corporate world or somebody who is uh, running a startup, um, reach out to us, come and speak to students, inspire a few to, uh, to work for you. 
uh, we bring in, we do applied projects uh, for for companies. So again, the offer is out there. Come and uh, and, and and reach out to us, and uh, we can certainly do a small in-class project or something larger with you that helps you build those relationships uh, that will ultimately lead to a, a, a better workforce. We bring in adjunct instructors who teach full courses in their area of expertise. Uh, a number of our adjunct instructors have hired uh, mm. people right mm. out of the, the classroom. Um, we have a growing advisory council and uh, what we call the uh, Dean's Executive Council where we uh, form relationships with uh, uh, active uh, managers and entrepreneurs in the, in the region. That's an impressive list. I've seen that list. It, it, it is increasingly impressive. Thanks for, for, for saying that and for looking at that list. And these people actually have an opportunity to influence what we are doing at the School of Management at a very high strategic level. That's the whole reason why we have those right. advisory councils. Uh, we don't claim, well, sometimes we do claim that we're the experts in all things business, but uh, ultimately the ultimate proof of the pudding is uh, can you deliver what industry needs? So having those advisory councils, we gather information early enough about the needs of, of certain industries and the developments in certain industries to influence uh, our our curriculum and, and our activities. Someone commented to me on, on how good of a job you've done at recruiting people. Uh, they were actually pretty blown away was how it was put. They said, this is, you don't see this at a small university. You don't see such a heavy hitter board of advisors. Um, so congratulations on that. Thank you. I'm reminded, and the reason I talk about this connection between business and education, because I, I don't think there's enough of that. And I think that that's a huge resource in the region, whether I'm up uh, at Cal Poly or I'm here at the University of Santa Barbara or, or down in Conejo with you, I don't think that we take as much advantage at the high school level, at the community college level, at the university level. So we're going to make that part of a continuing conversation that we have. I'm also informed by uh, a project my company, Intro Networks, is working on right now with uh, a large hotel chain that has built, they have a strategy where they are in 15 of the top hospitality programs around the United States, and they're Influ not influence they're making themselves visible to the incoming freshmen and all through the four years they want to be seen as the place to go to work they actually have an ambassador on campus and that ambassador's job is to find the I call them the one percent who are the one percenters that are going to go through that program and then go right into leadership programs at this organization and they they want to see be seen as his lifelong career with us and this is why you want to work with us we've been brought in to build something like 805 connect the connective tissue between the organization the school and the experts and it you know i asked is anybody else doing this and i said no we're the only ones and i said okay that's a really good model and it makes me think which is why i asked the question could businesses develop a relationship with you, kind of have be looking for those one percenters? I want to keep that talent here in the region. Uh, I'm thrilled that you off that you know the things I've learned in the last 45 minutes is it's it's very current, very topical. We've got world class experts that are teaching the students. 
the students range from that, you know, the undergrad right after they're young to the mid-career. We learned that the average age of the entrepreneur is 20 years off of what I thought it was. <laughs> um, learned quite a bit about this. I Thank you so much for that, telling us more about this spectacular resource right in our region that I don't think most people know how amazing it is. Where do they go to um, to find out more information on the web about your uh, program? Well, it's, it's callaluthorin.edu. And uh, for the School of Management, it's slash management. Thanks for the opportunity, Mark. Gerhard, thank you so much. Uh, again, thank you for stepping up and allowing us to, you know, fund this project that we're it's, doing. It, it's my pleasure. You know, the formula is very simple. As a regional university, we do have international and national visibility. But as a regional university, we do well when the community does well. And I love that. In our very first conversation two years ago, when I talked to you about, you know, coming on board with 805 Connect, you you explained almost that in exactly the same words. And and your commitment to community echoes our commitment to community. So that's just, it's a perfect, perfect uh, relationship. Well, one of the things that you get to do uh, is help us name this. So put your marketing hat on. So we're going to name this episode. So we've talked for 45 minutes. We've talked about a wide range of things. And we know one of the things you teach is people just read the headline. So they just read the subject line. So they're going through iTunes, they're looking at 805 Conversations, and we've been testing this for the last couple of months, um, actually changing the titles of some of the shows and finding out what performs mm -hmm. better. So what would you get first dibs at naming your episode? Our business school's good for business. Oh, oh I that's love that. Very nice. Boy, you just hit that one right out of the park. Just well, your intro was long enough that it, it gave him a chance to think about it. <laughs> I'm working on that. Yeah. Are business schools good for business? I love that. Gerhard, thank you so much. And, thank you, uh, we, we appreciate it. So um, we know we go to callutheran.edu. That is correct. Perfect. And then look for the School of Business. And we're, I didn't get into the Huddle Campus and everything that's going on at Westlake. We're going to talk to Mike uh, at another time. Exactly. But you've got to, there's, uh, you can sign up for the newsletter and then know about all the things. You do a ton of stuff that's open to the public. Uh, there's things almost every Wednesday night. There's speakers. There's lots of ways that you outreach. So uh, people, in fact, if you live in Santa Barbara and slow, maybe carpool down. And uh, exactly, find other yeah. people on 805. Connect. We had about 100 events last year at the School of Management alone. I know, so I know. They're, something they're really good. Day, yeah. They're really good. So thank you very much. And thanks again to California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services for sponsoring our podcast and our podcasting partner, Bullstring Press, for this great studio, and Cielo24, who provides the searchable captions for our show. The 805 Connect project is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. We thank them as well. More information at 805connect.com. Patrick, why don't you tell our listener how they could help us? Absolutely, Mark. Now, anybody who's a regular listener to 805 Conversations has already gone and reviewed and given us stars. And thank we're you. really appreciative of that. So this is your new task. I want you to reach over right now, grab your spouse's iPhone, or go to your kid's room and get their phone from them. Go to the podcast page, and then I want you to subscribe to 805 Conversations for them so that they can immediately and easily access these conversations. Uh, and that will build out our viewership. Uh, email this podcast to people that you think need to know more about what's going on. Uh, 
and that would really be uh, the best way to help us at this point. That's perfect. So do that. Grab someone's phone, subscribe them, and they will say thank you. So until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. 